0: in about two weeks and it's gonna be a phenomenal series. Does it sound good? Awesome, all right. One of my greatest friends on the planet is here with us today. He is definitely not a guest. He's been here multiple, multiple times. I will really, I will always have him in. Um, He encourages me, uh, he strengthens me, he challenges me. I've had many, many uh, conversations around fire pits with this man that um, lead me into sharper thinking and make me a better leader. make make me a better pastor make me a better father and make me a better friend um and i think this world has lost the ability to show honor so if you get uncomfortable with me doting upon my friend uh deal with it because we've got to encourage people come on somebody so um josh bingle genesis church spokane washington loves this house he loves this team he loves you um and there's not another person that I would rather have in this pulpit while I take a little bit of a chill time than Pastor Josh Bingle. So could you please stand to your feet? Give honor where honor is due. Can we put our hands together? Can we welcome Pastor Josh as he comes to bring the wood?
1: Yeah! Oh, what a pleasure to be here with family. It's so cool to see what God is doing in this church. I think every time I've been here, you've just opened another new auditorium and it's already full. And you're like, you gotta buy more. You <laughs> come once a year and the church is two times its size every time. But it's a testament to all of you and how God is moving in you and through you and allowing God to use you. Um love you buddy I love the way you love your family your kids they're disciplined you can tell well let me say this <clears throat> not every preacher has his house in order I'll just leave that I'm going to take shots but your house is in order and your kids love you they love Jesus uh, they're disciplined they're around they're involved and we both know that's not always the case They're fun too. They're disciplined and they're fun. Eliana eating ice cream and being, if you know Eliana, you know the face. (laughs) Um, So I love you. It's a pleasure doing ministry with you. Just during the second song, I just looked at him and was like, your church is so fun, man. Just gave him a hug. It's a pleasure doing ministry with you. And so um, you are blessed to have the pastors that you have. You really are. Few people could do a 16-week sermon and pull it off, but that's like half of how long your sermon series normally are, so you are a legend. Olivia, I come from uh, Spokane, Washington, um, a church called Genesis Church, and we're about to celebrate 13 years of <laughs> God's faithfulness. And I have a wife, Carly, three kids, um, Solomon, Ruth, and Ezra. Ezra's 10 months old and he says, dad and not mom. So that's what's big in my life right now. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna tell you a couple things that I believe because what you believe about something determines how you approach it. And so I'm gonna tell you what I believe about you and what I believe about God's word. Uh, What I believe about you is that you didn't come here to hear a TED talk. I believe that you didn't come here to hear the thoughts and opinions of a man, but you came to commune with the Holy Spirit of God through his word. That's what I believe about you. So I'm gonna gonna, gonna talk that way. That's what I believe about you. And what I believe about God's word is that it is what it says it is, that it is powerful and incorruptible seed. It is powerful and incorruptible. And it is so perfect in its execution that it says about itself, it has the ability to discern even between the bone and the marrow or the thought and the intent of a man. Like it knows what we need because it is alive and active. And we believe this mystical thing when we come together to sit under the spoken word of God, that the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us, which is to say he's conforming us to the image of Christ, which the apostle Paul says, that's the will of God for your life. But God, what's the will of God for my life? To be, sanct- to be sanctified, to be conformed to the image of Christ. There it is. And that's what we believe happens when we open scripture together in the gathering of the believers. So I believe that about you. I believe that about God's word. And with that in mind, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna ask us a question. What are you believing God for? That's not a rhetorical device, it's not a, way to slide into a sermon real question, what do you believe in God for? maybe nothing maybe something a friend a family member, a spouse, a sister an auntie, a cousin you believe in God for healing in your body, you believe in God for healing in your mind, that your mental would get stable what do you believe in God for? and maybe a different way to to get at the same idea, I would ask you this, what have you stopped believing God for? What have you stopped believing God for? We're gonna take a look at this text in Mark chapter seven and Matthew chapter 15, two accounts of the same thing. And we are gonna look at, interaction between Jesus and his disciples and this woman who quickly has become one of my favorite people in Scripture I pray that some of you are blessed you're encouraged God we love you we know that you're with us Holy Spirit we need you to do what you say you do that you lead us into all wisdom you are comforter you are counselor you are advocate so we ask that as we as we open your scripture together that you would open it up to us you would encourage us and you would challenge us where we need to be challenged that you would um, bring joy into our lives into our hearts and that we would look more like jesus when we leave here than we did when we walked in we ask all these things in jesus name everybody said amen amen what do you believe in god for there's a text here matthew or mark chapter 7 verse 24 says from there he arose and he is Jesus I come from a church that hollers at its preacher and so I'm gonna need some help today we say preaching is a team sport the preach back is not more holy it's just more fun but we also say amen and things like that because we believe that that the word of God is changing us so from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know yet he could not be hidden Verse 25, but immediately, somebody say immediately. immediately. Immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. You see a woman who has an immediate need. Um, I've had the privilege and the pleasure of pastoring for 13 years now, nearly 13 years. And um, for some of us, we started out knowing that prayer was powerful. Prayer is something that sets the Christian apart. The fact that you have the spirit of the living God in you sets you apart from just what you can accomplish on your own. In fact, at one point, Jesus says this curious thing to the disciples. He's looking at them before he ascends to heaven, and he says, the same spirit that's in me, I now give to you. Literally, the same spirit of God that empowered the miracles of Jesus' ministry, he goes, he's also going to be with you. And he's like, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And they're like, please don't leave. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. If I don't go he can't come and somebody better than me is coming better how better in this way that he could be with all of us at all times moving through us and so we start out this walk with God some of us knowing that prayer is powerful knowing that prayer moves God knowing that God moves through his people who pray and he works miracles and maybe you've seen that at work in other people's lives you've watched God move powerfully and miraculously and then Somewhere along the line, because of a series of circumstances in life or boredom or familiarity, we kind of stop contending for things in faith. So the message I want to preach to us today is really a question. It's why have you stopped asking? It's a big question. Why have you stopped contending? When I say praying for, I'm not saying like you're adding Jesus on Twitter and hoping that he sees it or like lobbying. I'm I'm talking about like on your knees, praying, contending, begging God that he would move on your behalf. The kinds of ways that maybe some of you used to pray. For some of you, a message like this, you might be like, wait, I can interact with God in that way. And the answer is yes, that God likes to hear from me. But over the years, counseling people and asking this question, even asking this question of myself, sometimes the reason that we have stopped praying for things and stopped asking and stopped contending is because they feel pretty small in the grand scheme of things. So we've kind of stopped asking because it seems pretty commonplace and not that big of a deal. After all, God is ordering the cosmos and holding the world in his hands and there's famine and war and genocide. And so, and so why would he pay attention to my little thing as if God's power is a zero-sum game, as if, if he moved on your behalf, then he can't help an orphan in Syria, as if God has like a certain amount of time that he can give to each one, but because it feels so commonplace and ordinary, we don't involve God in it. And I'm struck by something that was said of Enoch in scripture. It says about Enoch that he walked with God. He walked. What a cool thing to have on your tombstone. He walked with God. You know, you know, walking is pretty ordinary. Didn't say that Enoch rended heaven. You know, I grew up really Pentecostal. We used to rend, I don't even know what rending means, but we did it a lot. And we would rend heaven, and we would petition sometimes we have stopped asking for god because it seems so small and common and we were in staff prayer just this last week we start our our week out in prayer and i was sitting in the front row of our auditorium we were praying and and the holy spirit was ministering to me and reminding me about the ministry of jesus right now that jesus ministry to you and i before he returns in glory what he's doing right now is he is seated at the right hand of the father interceding on behalf of the saints You know what that means you have a personal prayer warrior and it's not just your grandma it's the living god who is interceding on your which which is which means that he is praying that your faith would not fail and so i was sitting there in the front row praying and i god doesn't usually speak to me in this way but i got this picture i was sitting right where pastor jason was in our auditorium and i got this picture as i was praying that jesus was in the chair next to me with his hands laid on me interceding for me And i was so encouraged and then throughout the week when i would go into ordinary things the holy spirit would bap it would pop into my mind before i went into a conversation before i sat down at dinner with my family this image of jesus sitting next to me hands on me praying for me in the common and ordinary things of life my son he's six years old he was like dad you trying to play some catch i was like yes I would love to play catch with you. And immediately I got this picture of Jesus laying his hands on me, interceding for me as I'm playing catch with my son, because to walk with God means to involve him in the common, ordinary small things. But sometimes we don't because it seems so small, that we forget. Sometimes we don't pray because the thing seems too big. It's like a big thing. Sometimes we have no problem praying for the small things because I can kind of control them. But the big things, to pray for big things means that I am putting what I think to be true about God on the line. And because I've been disappointed before, and I've allowed disappointment to domesticate the faith in which I once walked. I don't pray for them because I would rather believe that God could do it than to pray for it and then God not come through in my way on my timeline and then to have my worst fears about God confirmed. And so I just don't involve him because it's easier to believe in a God who could than a God who doesn't. Is this okay, Kim? I'm just, I'm being honest. And so we don't involve him in those ones. I'll do this. I'll do the small ones. But the big ones is like, I would rather not be disappointed. And so I just believe that God can, and I'll pray for other people because if it doesn't come through on their timeline, it doesn't hurt me as much. But for me, I just maybe we don't pray because it f- seems like we got too many things. And then when you approach God, you just feel like a train wreck, like you're just a nuisance. So we don't take him to God because it's like, you know, it's, it's like we get this idea of God that he's like um, running an amusement park. And when you walk in, you have 10 tickets. And you better, you know, when you're a kid and you got 10 tickets and an hour later, you're like, dad, can I have more tickets? He's like, that's it, buddy. Like, why did you tell me that when we got here? I would pace myself. But like, you got like 10 kingdom tickets. And so you better be careful how many you use because you might need another one later for a big one. Or, and this is true for a lot of people, We don't pray for things and involve God in a situation where we'd like Him to move, but we don't pray because we're the ones who created the situation in the first place. And so I don't pray and ask God to move in my marriage because I'm the one who said the thing that put it where it's at right now. I don't ask God to to help me in my finances because I'm the one who's spending the money. And so I don't, I don't involve God. And this is a question I've had for a long time, and I haven't found an answer. Maybe how He can give me one. I haven't found an answer to it in, in Scripture. And maybe that's on purpose. I'll just tell you the question. I have no answer for you. I'll just tell you the question. Where does my responsibility and God's sovereignty intersect? Like how much of my walk with God is what, is what I'm responsible for. And then how much does God, d- does God move? Because here's what I don't wanna be. I don't wanna be the guy who's just like, let go and let God. And then do, like, I don't know what that means. Like, let go and then I just do nothing. But I also don't wanna be the guy who is living my whole life in my own strength and striving and forgetting to invite the king of the universe into my situation. I don't wanna be either of those. And so maybe scripture is not explicit on where that line is because it's a walk of faith and because i'm constantly having to look to the greater one who dwells within me sometimes we don't ask god because we created it in the first place we're annoying it's too big it's too small and we forget that god likes our prayers He likes them. Like God is not some customer service rep on the line with the insurance company who has to deal with your complaint because he's contractually obligated to by the cross. And he sees your card, he pop up, and he's like, Megan's calling again. He actually likes it when we pray. He actually likes it When we involve him in things, like my six year old son, sometimes he'll ask me for help and I'll be like, no, you can do it. And I'm trying to help him see that he can do it. And then other times he'll ask me for help and it's a thing I know he can do on his own, but I do it with him anyway, because I like to be with him. Like parents, you know this one, they will be like, can you help me clean my room? You're like, no, you didn't need help making the mess. So you don't need help cleaning the mess. And then there are times like, can you help me clean my room? And I'm like, I would love to. He's fully capable, but I just like spending time. with So I'm like, I'll get the Legos, you get the pens, I'll get the golf balls. There's a lot of those. But he likes our prayers. He delights in you, scripture says. How quickly we forget that our good father likes to be involved. He's not just on the hook because of covenant and stuff. And because he made a promise in Genesis 12, and because he's a promise keeper, he's doing it because he has to, he actually likes it. And so we see this woman in this text, and we're going to see a couple things from this. First of all, the power of persistently petitioning God. That's what we're gonna see in this text. Secondly, we're gonna see the nature of our good king on display. But it takes kind of a a circuitous route. It's maybe not as direct as some of us would hope and some of us would like and some of us would prefer. So Mark chapter seven, verse 24, from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and he didn't want anyone to know which I always thought was super weird because he's the Son of God and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like, why would you not want people to know where you are at? Isn't that the whole reason you're here, bro? But it's like, he needed some rest. Fully God, fully man, doing a lot of ministry, He goes to Tyre and Sidon, which is north of the Holy Land. It's Greek territory. And so he's up there just trying to kick his feet up, watch the opium championship, crush some chicken wings, and not talk to anybody. (laughs) He just needs some rest. And so he says he didn't want anybody to know, yet he could not be hidden. We see in scripture, wherever Jesus went, people flocked. They, they, They left, responsibilities to go just be in His presence, which is super convicting to me, who has access to the presence of God and the power of God 24-7 by the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I have access to the presence of God, and I so often take it for granted. Like, do you remember, those of you who are married, do you remember when you were dating, and you were like, Oh my God, I can't wait until we're married and we can like hang out all the time. Like we'll never be away from each other, bro. Like not just only on movie nights, but we have so much time together. And then now you're married and you're like, can you please go to a movie or something? Can you go over there and I'm gonna go over here And what you once dreamed about and desired has now become so common and ordinary that you forget the gift that it is that a actual, literal human woman likes you enough to hang out with you and have kids with you and marry you. A human woman (laughs) wants to talk to you, but it's become so ordinary and common that we take it for granted. So I do with the presence of God that texts like these where they flock, he, wait, who's here? And they're people showing up such that he could not be hidden. Oh, for a church that desires to be in the presence of God with the people of God this way. And immediately a woman his little daughter had an unclean spirit she heard of him and came and fell at his feet i want to pick up this text in matthew chapter 15 and look through matthew's account and i'm gonna, i'm gonna pull from this text four walls that we see her push through four walls that you're going to need to push through to become this kind of prayer that's not an exhaustive list it's just four that we see from this text and maybe what some of you will do is be able to identify some of the walls that you have pushed through in your faith journey with God. And then maybe you'll be able to identify the wall that's standing right in front of you that's stopped you from asking God for things. So Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, verse 22, Matthew 15, 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed. Now this woman, being a Syrophoenician woman, scripture says about her, she's Greek. She's not even Samaritan. Maybe you've heard people talk about some of the tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans, but at least the Samaritans were like kind of Jewish. This is a Canaanite woman, a Greek woman. If you wanna play this game demographically, one of the least uh, probable people to be speaking with a Jewish rabbi. Who's on a lunch break, by the way? And she says, have mercy on me, O Lord. She puts Jesus where he belongs, Lord, son of David, acknowledges his divinity, his lineage. She says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This woman has a need right now. Verse 23, Jesus was like, wow, you're so amazing. Let me heal your daughter. Verse 23 says, He did not answer her a word. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed. I've heard that you heal people in between the lines. She showed up, why would she show up? Because Jesus is famous. I've heard you can heal people. I've heard about the blind eyes. I've heard about the ears. I've heard, I've heard about Lazarus. Like, I, And I believe you can do this. And Jesus didn't answer her a word. And This is where most of us would stop praying. Because it would confirm one of our fears that God doesn't listen to people like me. And, and I remember my friend was telling me a story that he prayed and his mom still died. And so now I pray, I don't hear it, so I see she was right. And the first wall that you're gonna have to learn how to push through in prayer is the wall of silence. Like what do you do when this good God you've heard of? Silent. So theologically what we know is that God is not silent. He is speaking. but it doesn't always feel like that. And my experiential feeling is framing how I approach God in the future. And so because maybe I heard some silence, that disappointment has domesticated the faith that I once walked in. And so I just just stopped. As if it wasn't bad enough that Jesus didn't say a word to her. The second half of that sentence says, his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us now. Literally Jesus's team is asking Jesus in front of this woman, can you please send her to a different church because she's annoying. This verse is for all the people who have ever felt that your prayer request was annoying. Because you've been walking with God, with the same people for 10 years, and they come up and they go, hey, how can I pray for you? And you're like, pray for my daughter. And you're like, we've had this same prayer request for 10 years. And you wonder what they're saying about you at small group when you're not there. I think about it with this woman. Not only did Jesus full on ignore her, I don't think I'm outside of the text to say that. Then Jesus' team in front of her starts saying, Can you please send her away? Because now she's inconveniencing us with her little prayer request. And so the second wall you're going to have to push through is the wall of opinion what you think somebody else thinks about your prayer request. And so because you didn't want to be annoying and you didn't want to seem like a nuisance, you just kind of stopped asking and you just kind of deal with it and carry it because it's embarrassing that I'm still praying for it. Still, my husband's still addicted. So we just kind of, this is convicting for me as a leader to not walk past people because I have ministry to do? One of my mentors gave me this advice early on in ministry. He said, Josh, walk slowly through the lobby. It's one of the things I love about Jay, that he stands out there and talks with people. I love doing that. You know how many times Jesus performed miracles on his way to somewhere else? So be careful when somebody's like, "Hey, can you pray for this?" That you're not just like, "Yeah, I'll pray." You know, like we say, "Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you, brother." Seriously, I challenge you. Stop in the moment and go. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. How can I pray for you? I'm gonna pray for my daughter. What are you praying for your daughter? I'm believing she come home in Jesus' name. We believe that she's coming home. We ask Holy Spirit that you would protect her, that you would keep her, that you would guide her, and we ask that you bring her home in Jesus' name. That person will be floored. Okay, I gotta go fast. As if it wasn't bad enough <laughs> that Jesus ignored her, and then the disciples said, "Can you please send her away because she's annoying." Jesus answers, the apostles say, will you please send her away? Jesus answers the apostles, in front of this woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, of whom she is not one. So she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter severely oppressed and I need your help. He's silent. They say, please send her away. And then Jesus in front of her goes, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is demolishing what I think about who Jesus is. He's so obsessed with me. Oh my gosh, he loves me so much. Ah! And he's like not talking to her. The disciples are annoyed by her. And then Jesus goes in front of the woman. She's not even the person that I was sent here to minister to. And here's one of the reasons that I quickly started to love this woman as an encourager to my prayer life. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25 says, but she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me she just heard jesus say i'm not even sent to her because the gospel wasn't being preached to the gentiles yet that's at antioch in acts 11. it hadn't started happening yet except for a few one-offs jesus was literally fulfilling his mission and and hers would come later but he says i'm, I'm sent to the lost sheep of israel and she came and knelt before him this one this is the power of persistently petitioning god And she comes and kneels before him and she says, Lord, help me. And some of us don't pray because we don't know the words to say. And we've heard people who are really good at praying. And it seems like they always know the right thing to pray. And they have a verse for every single thing. And I don't. And so I just don't pray because I don't know the right words to say as if there's some magic amalgamation of words that finally unlocks God's attention. But because we don't know the words to say, we just don't say anything. And I wanna give you a a perfectly sanctioned scriptural prayer. Are You ready? Help me. Like there's this curious thing in Joshua chapter 10 um, where Joshua prays, son, stand still because God made him a promise that before the sun goes down tonight, it will be fulfilled. And then Joshua's watching the sun go down and he's like, oh. and it's like not being fulfilled. And, he's, and so what a lot of us would do at that point is just be like, well, I guess I didn't hear God. I guess I missed it. But Joshua goes, oh, sun stand still. And scripture says, and the sun stood still over the valley of Abijah. The third wall you're going to have to overcome is the wall of ignorance. That because I don't know the right thing to say, I just don't say anything. (laughs) You want to know what's crazy about the sun? It was already standing still. (laughs) Because we have a heliocentric solar system. And in fact, the sun is standing still and we are orbiting around the sun. (laughs) And so he prays. Sun stand still. And I love that God wasn't like, what an idiot. <laughs> now, if he had prayed, earth stand still, maybe I would have moved on his behalf. You were so close, dude. <laughs> like if you would have prayed the right thing, then I could have moved, but you said the wrong words. Instead, he prays, "Sun stand still, and God goes, look at you go, buddy. Because what was joshua doing joshua was praying according to his understanding and god knew what he really needed but because he had the faith to pray according to what he knew god goes come on baby cracks his knuckles and gets to work but some of us don't pray because we feel like we don't know the right words to say i don't want to mess it up i don't want to pray the wrong thing God just likes to be asked, and so if you can push through the wall of ignorance, maybe here's how you do it. Help me. I don't know what to pray for my cousin. I don't know what to pray about my mind that just out of nowhere it's just unstable, and I'm I don't know. Help me. And as if it wasn't bad enough, that Jesus said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She prays, help me. And Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ugh. Calm down, Lord. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? It was a local colloquialism that they would say like to the little puppies, and it meant, let's keep the first things first and the second things second. That's what he's saying to her. I have other priorities. And this, these responses from Jesus go so far outside of who I know him to be and who I believe him to be. So I've tried to, I've wanted to preach this text for a long time, but it just hasn't really settled on me until about three months ago, I preached it at our church. And I pored over commentaries and scholarly articles about like, what is going on here? And the general consensus seems to be this, that Jesus knew about this woman, that she had the faith such that she would persistently petition him. And so he was using it as a test by which he could show all the people around her what it looked like to persistently petition him in faith. He knew how she would respond, he's God. So he wasn't like trying to be rude, he just knew I can trust her with this test, such that when she comes through the other side, and she will, which is what happens when God tests you, he tests you with the belief that you will make it. And so he uses this, to, pr- to show the disciples who would need this kind of faith when he was gone and they were leading the church and their life was on the line, they could look back at this cyber Phoenician woman and be like, I remember what it looked like to persistently petition him in faith. This is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. I love this woman. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus answered her, "O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. (laughs) It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Here's the last wall and maybe the hardest one for those of us who have walked with God for a while. It's the wall of worth. the wall of worth sounds like this. Who am I to ask God for that? What makes you think, this is my self talk. What makes you think you are worthy to approach a perfectly holy God and ask him for anything this is my self-talk a lot of times when I'm preaching get up to preach on a Sunday self-talk starts who do you think you are to stand before these people and say this why because I know what a dirtbag I am in my own mind I know the way I think about people sorry if, if that really messed you up you're like preachers think like that oh yeah Who do you think you are to stand in front of these people and say this? Who do you, what makes you think you are worthy to approach a perfectly holy God and ask Him for anything? Some of us need to get better at finishing that sentence. Because that sentence is not wrong, it's just incomplete. Because it's true. You are not worthy to approach a perfectly holy God and ask Him for anything. But, 2 Corinthians 5 says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So you know what's true? You're not worthy to approach God. But by the shed blood of Jesus that washed you white as snow, and now what Hebrews chapter 10 says, is that we can boldly enter the throne room of grace. Not the throne room of healing, and He is healer. Not the throne room of provision, and He is provider. Not the throne room of friend, and He is friend. The throne room of grace. Not even the throne room of mercy. Mercy is, I'm not gonna give you what you deserve. You deserve death. I'm not gonna give you that. That's, that's mercy. I'm not gonna give you what you do deserve. Grace goes beyond that and says, I'm gonna give you what you don't deserve. So not only am I not gonna kill you for your sin, in fact, I'm gonna pour my favor out upon you, which is what Jesus said, I have come to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And that's what he says, that you can enter boldly into the throne room of grace. Because if it was up to my resume, I wouldn't even pray over my dinner. Thank God that I don't have to approach Him because of how awesome I am. But some of us, we don't pray because we know what we did this week. And we know what, we've, what our life has looked like for the last three years. And so we tell ourselves... I'm going to get this cleaned up a little bit and then I'll talk to God. That's like taking a bath before you get in the shower. You know, God is here to cleanse you. You're going to cleanse yourself before he cleanses you? No, no. A- approach him. Because you're right, you're not worthy. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, you have been declared righteous and holy. And, he, and, and, and now his throne room is like, hey, come in. Come in. And We're standing outside like, oh, you know, it's like Peter when Jesus, and he, Peter hits his knees and says, depart from me from, from a sinful man. And Jesus goes, Get up. We got work to do. His throne room is like, come on in. So why have you stopped asking? It's too big. It's too small. It's annoying. Not worthy. And if I could say anything in closing, I would say this. Ask again. Ask again. And if you don't need it, you won't have it. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Is there's anything in my life I don't have, I want it to be because I don't need it, not because I didn't ask for it. And if I don't need it, it's fine. My grace is sufficient. But I don't want to lack anything in my life because I didn't ask. Jesus like, just ask. Just ask again. Amen. Can we stand together? Thank you for your patience. God, we're thankful for your word i pray that you would help us those of us who have allowed disappointment to domesticate our faith and we have forgotten what it looked like to contend in faith and holy spirit i pray that you would grant us the grace to ask again not whipping ourselves up in some positive mental energy but a miracle of the holy spirit that would grant us the grace to pray in faith again to believe that you're a good God that you like to hear our prayers and that you want to move on our behalf help us Lord in Jesus name everybody said amen amen maybe you're here and you would say pastor I wouldn't consider myself a Christian I wouldn't consider myself a believer I wouldn't say that I follow Jesus we're going to pray give you the opportunity to respond to a 2,000-year-old invitation that's been extended the world over for two millennia now, which is an invitation into the kingdom of God where you have a fresh start and you're washed white as snow. And the Holy Spirit begins a process of sanctifying you, which is conforming you to the image of Christ, which is really to say, turning you into the version of yourself that you were created to be. So if you're saying pastor that's me i need a fresh start in just a second i'm gonna ask you to do something really bold and brave i'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in front of all these people not to embarrass you but there's two main reasons the first is practical when that hand goes up we are going to celebrate with you just like heaven i want to stand with you And the second is theological in nature jesus said if you will acknowledge me before men then i will acknowledge you before my father so if you're here saying pastor that's me i'm taking a step of faith today i'm going to put my life in jesus hands i want him to be lord i need a fresh start if that's you in front of all these people i want you to be really bold and brave take a step of faith and raise your hand right now in jesus name try and touch that ceiling Thank you, Jesus. thank you jesus 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 come on church this is new life this is new life never the same never the same in jesus name Never the same in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray along with you. I know there's a lot of people in this room. You're joining online. Might be people in the room you're in, but I just want you to take a moment with the Father. There's people around you, and we're gonna pray with you. We're gonna join our faith with yours because this is a big step of faith. Would you pray along with me? We'll pray in faith. Let's pray together. Say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I know that I've sinned, and I need you. So come into my world. Be my leader. Be my Lord. Make me brand new. Give me a fresh start. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And use my life to build your kingdom.